Hello, this is Meet the Writers. I'm Georgina Godwin. My guest today is an American actress, director and writer. She's worked with Elia Kazan, Anne Bancroft, Shelley Winters, Catherine Hepburn and Ellen Burstyn, to name just a few. She's written a book, The Road to Cali, about adopting her son and has now made an award-winning documentary film, Safer in Silence, which explores her Jewish-Polish heritage. Corinne Chateau, welcome to Meet the Writers. <laughs> uh, hello, Georgina. This is so exciting, I can't tell you. Well, we're talking about exploring your Jewish-Polish heritage, but actually I should be completely upfront and say that's our Jewish-Polish heritage. Exactly, our. Because right. you are, in fact, my cousin and we share a, a grandparent. Yes, our grandparents were first cousins. Yeah. So, so yes. A, and a double grandparent, if you like. Incredible. <laughs> and, and to have met you, I mean, actually you were so much a part of my uh, discovery because when you said in, well, first we met in two, in 2005, I believe. First I met your brother, Peter Godwin, who I was so excited to meet because I had no idea that I had all these relatives. I'm an only child. I grew up in New York. My mother was Polish. I knew that. My father French. I had no relatives around. And then suddenly to discover from my maternal side that there were all these living relatives that I never knew anything about. And then Peter Godwin, a writer. I mean, here I am, an actress, a writer, an artist living in the same city as me. I mean, I can't tell you how much it meant to me. It was like finding a long-lost brother or something. It was the same for us, of course. We grew up with, we thought, British parents, yeah. and then we discovered our father was Polish, and only later that he was also Jewish, and then discovered, of course, that there were all these relatives like you. I know. So. I, incredible. I mean, from, from everywhere, from the six continents of the world, from, well, you, from Africa, then Europe, North America, South America. I don't know if we have anyone in Australia, but not. <laughs> we should try and find, I'm sure there'll be one. Oh, though. I'm sure, too. <laughs> Uh, Karine, let's start at the beginning, okay. though, because you grew up not knowing any of this uh, at all. And you were born in New York City. I was born in New York City. I'm first generation. My parents came as a result of the war. Yeah, so I I happened to be born in uh, New York. It, it could have been in Paris, but then they decided that Paris, uh, life was too difficult in, in France after the war, and then they moved to New York, and eventually I was... Mm -hmm. uh, and, and a sort of fairly normal childhood, would you say? Um, no. <laughs> and that's because I think, like me, one parent was holding this huge secret. Well, absolutely. There were a lot of secrets. And I, you know, I mean, even though, of course, you don't know what the secrets are, you feel this atmosphere of things being hidden, that things are not being told to you. You learn very early to be very careful what you say, what you should not say. You become very uh, sensitive to people's expressions. So I felt this with, especially with my mother, you know, who was quite distant and I felt in her own world. And so I was trying to you know, just sort of measure my steps with her. I mean, not to say that she didn't take care of me. I mean, she made sure, you know, I was sent to camps and good schools. And But herself, I didn't feel that I... I felt I had to be careful with my mother. Mm. So it wasn't really an easy relationship. 
And then I was sent away a lot. I mean, that's when, when I read Peter's book, Mukiwa, I so identified, even though he grew up in Africa and I in, in New York, I so identified with being sent away as a very small child and the loneliness of that, because mm. that's what I experienced. Mm. Do you think that that's what led you into acting, this feeling of perhaps needing to be someone else? You know, people often think of acting as being someone else, but I think it was really more to be able to express my true self, you know, that through a character and and through, of course, you're given words, lines, but you can then show feelings and, you know, parts of yourself that you wouldn't do so easily in your own home environment. Actually, I was extremely shy. I was very shy probably because of this kind of... uh, you know, being an only child and having parents who weren't speaking all that much to each other. And, and, you know, just so acting was the outlet. And I discovered very early that I was pretty good at it. And also because I just I think this environment had sensitized me to other people so I could feel other people. I, it wasn't that hard for me to imagine myself being something else. But at the same time, I was expressing parts of myself. Mm -hmm. So give us a little resume of your acting career because you've worked with some amazing people. Well, yeah, I was very lucky that really quite early I got a manager. And, I mean, actually, I did start in Europe. I went to, uh, I started in Paris. Then I did a summer intensive at the Central School of Speech and Drama. Then I did get into the London Academy of Music and and Drama, I I believe it is. But instead, I ended up going to the Stella Adler Conservatory in New York. And at the time, I had this manager, and he said, if you could meet anyone in the world, who would you like? like to meet. And I had just seen a retrospective of Elia Kazan's movies. And I was just so blown away by what I saw, the kind of acting, how true it was and all that. I said, Elia Kazan. And he said, oh, he's not making movies anymore. And I said, oh, well, I mean, he's the best. And it just so happened that he had the same lawyer as Kazan's lawyer. And so a meeting was arranged and I met this... (laughs) I mean, actually, the first meeting was a little bit of a trauma. I met this man, but he was very dynamic and, you know, he not aggressive, but, but he was very out front with his questions, very personal questions. Who do you live with? Who's your boyfriend? Um, what do you, you know, and I just, I was just blushing to high heaven and I left there feeling like a total idiot and I just wanted to erase Kazan from my mind. But then a year later, I was in Switzerland, and I just happened to see in a bookstore a book about Kazan. And I so I read this book, and uh, the whole feeling about Kazan revived. And so I wrote him a letter apologizing for how I had acted. And he wrote me right back. I mean, however, how fast mail was in, in that time. And he said... I'm so sorry you felt that way. I was on your side of the table once, and please come see me as soon as you come to New York. So, of course, I did. (laughs) And this time, he was completely different. He made me feel completely at ease, and probably, eventually, I told him a whole lot of stories. And he, you know, of course, he was born in Turkey of, of Greek parents. He had the immigrant story, and here I kind of had it, too. And then he sent me to, he said he wanted me to observe at the actor's studio. 
So I went to the actor's studio, and this, as soon as I saw the work there, the kind of real kind of acting, not, not pretend, not uh, presentational, but really having an experience on the stage, I just couldn't believe it. And I thought, this is what I want. This is what I want. So eventually I became a member, a life member. I'm still a life member of the Actors Studio. And I had the great privilege of working with, I did a play with uh, Arthur Penn, you know, the film director who did Bonnie and Clyde. And uh, that play was Golda, about Golda Meir. I played uh, I played Anne Bancroft's uh, younger sister in a flashback scene. So we did that and went to Broadway and then I was, uh, well, I was with Catherine Hepburn, but she's not part of the actor's studio, but I was part of this production, West Side Waltz. And then I worked with Kazan. He wrote this play called The Chain. He wrote and directed it, which wasn't a total success, but it was an incredible experience to work with him. It was just, there's no one like him. And, um, and actually, you know, with the situation of today with Ukraine and everything, and that story was sort of loosely based on the Orestia, but it had a contemporary part to it where uh, I'm an activist fighting the nuclear situation. And the whole point was, uh, can we cut the chain of violence mm. of one killing leading to another and to another and to another? And here we are again in yeah. um, a major war. Then I did this film, Shelley Winters, uh, Witchfire. Yeah, which, uh, Shelley Winters was a trip. I love Shelley. I mean, you know, sometimes on these talk shows, she appear a little bit ditzy, but she was anything but ditzy. She was really a very, very smart woman, a wonderful actress, and very, very supportive. Yeah, I I mean, you had to put up with the dramas, <laughs> the daily dramas with her, but it was all part of the experience. And um, yeah, I love... And, and then Ellen Burstyn, I did... Uh, I played Hermia in her production of Midsummer Night's Dream, so that was a lot of fun. You've and also done a, a, a big soap opera. I did a soap opera, yeah, for several years. I mean, that, you know, I think of that more as a money thing. You know, I got a nice salary from that. I can't say that I love doing a soap opera. I really wanted to be a real actress at the time, and I kind of looked down a little bit at that time. Now I don't. Now I don't. I'd, I'd be glad to get a soap opera now. But then I, I was a little bit, you know, oh, I don't want to do soaps. I don't want to do commercials. I want to be a real actress. And so, yes, but I did do that. And, and, and actually, it's very good. At least Strasberg, who was my teacher, you know, he was the artistic director of the Actors Studio, and I studied with him, and he said, don't look down on the soap. You know, you, you can use your work. You have to do it fast. You have to be, you know, learn your lines fast, but you also have to do the emotional preparation fast. Mm. So don't look down on it. Maybe the words aren't so brilliant, but... Of course, you've gone on to teach yourself and to write, and now your book, Road to Cali, is all about your journey to adoption. Tell us a little bit about that. I've always thought of myself more as an actress, but in a way, I, I have always kept a journal, a diary. So that's always been part of my life. And then when this experience of um, of adopting a child from the Republic of Georgia and then getting caught in this huge political 
turmoil that was going on there and not knowing if we would be able to get our baby out. Uh, They had said yes, all the papers had been done, we were ready, and then suddenly the whole program stopped and he was stranded there in a hospital, then they put him in, in an orphanage. And meanwhile, it was, it, was, it was a very, very emotional experience, and I was so worried about him because, of course, every day in the life of a baby, as you know, I mean, having a child is so critical. Meanwhile, I was writing about all of it because I also I wanted to, to be sure of the facts and what was happening day by day. So... Eventually, we did get our baby, thank God. And then a few years later, I thought maybe... Well, actually, it started with doing this one-woman show, which I called Abandoned, which was loosely based on the story of going for our son, Callie. But then I put it into a book called Road to Callie. And eventually, out of that whole story, I wrote this play through the encouragement of uh, Ellen Burstyn, because she had seen the one woman, and she said, why don't you expand this into a play? So I wrote The Sunshine's East out of this whole story, and my son now is 25 years old, and he wants to be a filmmaker, and so, yeah, so all that went well. Kieran, I think we need to talk about the film now, Safer in Silence. And this, as we said, explores your Jewish-Polish heritage, your very complicated relationship with your mother and our joint family history. How did the film begin? Well, the film, the actual film really didn't start for a while. I I have always, as I said, I've always kept a journal, a diary, and I've always also taken photographs and video, mainly because my life, I moved so, so much around in my life and also meeting different people, and I always felt this need to capture the moment, to try to understand the moment, and so at least this way I'd have a proof. So I did have all this footage, and actually as we were discovering that we had these relatives, and then when we went to Poland and I discovered that there were all these important ancestors in our past, or doctors, scientists, philanthropists, I mean really important people who pushed the envelope of their time, who were uh, Jewish people who wanted to assimilate into the Polish life. They were not so much Zionists, or they wanted to integrate. They were called assimilationists. And I was learning about all these very important people, and at a certain point, I thought, maybe I should try to put it together. I don't really feel qualified to write it as an academic, as a book so much, but I did have all this footage. But I have to say that it also coincided with, and I'll try to make this short, I was working on my play, Sunshine Seas, and I was working on it as an actress. I was writing it as I was also acting in it. And there was uh, the part of the mother in the play that was a bit of the obstacle, loosely based on my own mother, but loosely. And um, I was supposed to do this scene at the actor's studio with this actress, actually John Garfield's daughter, Julie Garfield, and she canceled. And I had to take the session, and I did an improvisation on the death of the mother. To make a long story short, I went through this scene where I get a phone call that my mother's been found dead in her apartment. I have to go and convince the police that I'm her daughter, and then I have to speak to this corpse. Well, I did the scene. The house was full that day. Ellen Burstyn made her comments, and I still wasn't sure what I was going to do with the mother in the play. 
Two weeks later to the day, I received a phone call in the middle of the night that my mother had been found dead in her apartment. And I had to go to her building, and the police was there, just like in my improvisation. Exactly. I mean, actually, when I heard on the phone that my mother had been found dead, I thought I was dreaming. I thought, I'm at the actor's studio. There's Ellen Burstyn, and she's talking to me. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. So I was in such shock, and she didn't live that far away. So my husband and I, we ran there. The police didn't want to let me in because it had been sealed off as a crime scene. I mean, it was so freaky, the whole experience, that I, I was no longer able to act in it. I mean, I did finish the play. I wrote it. It was produced. It had a, a, you know, a production. But this was part of the thing that impelled me to want to put the pieces together because I felt so much had been left unresolved with my mother's death, and it happened in such a horrible way, and I felt I had to understand. So I thought between that, my mother, trying to understand my mother, and then the discovery of all these important people, maybe somehow I can put the footage together and tell a story, and um, not realizing how hard it was going to be, and it's uh, not so easy to make a film. But thankfully, I found this extraordinary editor in Poland. I would never have been able to do this in the States. I found this incredible editor in Poland who's now the head of the famous Lodz Film School in Łódź. Anyway, she was so interested in the story. She seemed to completely understand it. And we worked together, and uh, I am so grateful to this Melania Fiedler because, yeah, I mean, I needed a good editor, and mm. she was the one. And um, Because it took years, didn't it? As you say, you've been well, documenting it, for a long time. I mean, I'm, my own little cameo in the film, I've still got very, very long, naturally brunette hair, so it must have been a long <laughs> well, that was Well, that was in 2005. But I didn't know I was going to make the, the film until about 2.13, and then it wasn't really until 2.14 when I made an assembly. And then after that... Oh, this is important. After that, I had I made an assembly, and I invited some people to see it. And for better or for worse, I invited a, a, a film critic friend of mine, a very important film critic, who is also the daughter of Holocaust survivors. And she saw it, and she took me aside, and she was extremely critical. She said, you know, we can't understand what happened with your mother unless you put up front what it was like for Jews in Poland before the war, during the war, and after the war. Unless we understand the danger of that, we cannot understand your mother and why she was the way she was. You know, in the moment, it was devastating to me. I thought, oh, my God, I can't make this film. I'm, you know, what do I know? And it haunted me. It haunted me. And... Um, and finally, I realized as I was swimming one day in the sea, you know, it's true what she's saying, and I've got to do this. And I told this to Melania, who at first didn't totally agree, because she said, oh, in Europe, everyone understands the story. And I said, no, I think she's right. I think she's right. We have to put this up front. And, and so we did. And I think it really did make the difference. And I think we do 
and and also it helped me to understand so much of my mother, you know, going through this and, you know, because she was 16 going on 17 when the war began. Her whole life was upended. I mean, suddenly she loses her school, her friends, her country. She's for sure not allowed to say anything about being Jewish. So they have to hide this through escaping to Italy, then to Portugal, then to Brazil. You know, it's always hide, hide, hide. And that conditioning stayed with her even when she went to America where, you know, supposedly, you know, it's free and everything. Of course, anti-Semitism still exists. But she was she was terrified and she never she never really admitted to it. I mean, the only time she really admitted that there was a connection to this background was when I found out about Peter, your brother, and that he was the son of Casimir, whom she had known as a child. And she was so—she started, you know, reminiscing about this wonderful family that they had been friends with and, and been family with, and never mentioning Jewish, <laughs> never, but saying, yes, we're connected. So that was the closest she really came to admitting, because otherwise you'd say, why would you want to get into all this? Why would you want to get into this? It always comes back. Anti-Semitism always comes back. And, um, I mean, I guess it does. (laughs) Well, and that was my father's rationale. I mean, he never told me that he was Jewish. Uh, We found out after his death, and his his whole, according to my mother, was that it always comes back. And he didn't want his children to be burdened, as he thought, with this label which could be dangerous for them. Hence the the name of your film, Safer in Silence. Right, right. No, I completely understand the rationale, you know, to want to protect your, your children. On the other hand, I think that children can understand more than one thinks. And I think that the atmosphere of secrets is really not great. And I think one secret inevitably leads to other secrets and other secrets. So, you know, I understand why my mother did it, why your father did it. But I I think it did really affect my life in many ways. But it also made me an artist <laughs> because yeah. it made me want to understand, want to under uh, to express, it made me want to tell the story. Mm. I wonder if you could tell me about how you feel towards Judaism now because, of course, the way Jewish heritage works, if your mother is Jewish technically, then you are Jewish. If, if, if your mother is not Jewish, you're not, which makes me technically not Jewish but you Jewish. Do you feel Jewish in any way? You know, I I do recognize things. I I feel Jewish in the sense that, for one thing, I'm very proud now to have learned about this heritage because I I so admire the emphasis on the education, on early education, on encouraging children to ask questions. I so admire this. And I, you know, maybe it wasn't so much in my environment, but somehow I think I got this... I don't know, genetically, this need to understand things, the need to question. I think I've always been very inquisitive, curious. So I very much admire this. And this, the fact that these people that make up a, such a small percentage of the world's population could have managed to survive, that all our family, we, they all escaped 
They all escaped. They left with nothing. Well, not all, of course. I, mean, of course, I <laughs> yeah. don't mean that. I mean, my yeah, grandmother, my aunt. No, and absolutely. And <laughs> yeah. I learned many aunts, relatives of mine also died in the camps. And But the ones who did manage to escape, I mean, they left with a suitcase. They, they didn't have much. They had no money. But somehow, wherever they went, to Africa, to North America, South America, somehow they managed to then get themselves educated. They managed to, to get work. They managed to do well. And that's what I find extraordinary, that in spite of the incredibly difficult things they went through, somehow they end up doing well. And I, I found this astonishing. I don't know, you know, quite what that is, but I, I really admired that. And, um, you know, the... Christine in the film, I don't know if you remember, but she was born in the ghetto. And basically she had, I mean, they were in hiding in, first in Poland. Then she lost all her education while she ends up with a Ph.D. in uh, landscape architecture in, in Chile. But she went through so much. And yet, in spite of that, because I think the thing to live is so strong in the Jewish consciousness that you have a duty to live and you have a duty to tell the story of what happened. And that I really, really admire. So, yeah, I feel the Jewish in certain parts. But, of course, my whole childhood experience, not that I was really, that religion was really pushed on me. But it was, you know, I had Christmas, Easter. I had the Christian holidays. So I feel that, too. So I'm, I guess, a mix. Corinne, before we go, I just want to know about your next project because you're, uh, as you say, you've been a diarist all your life and you're actually looking back and, and, and bringing those diaries to light. Well, right. So, you know, actually since COVID, because I ended my film just as lockdown happened, and then I thought, now what? And, you know, it was just, uh, you know, we were all in isolation and everything, and I thought... You know, I've always had these this diary material from my early acting days that I've always wanted to do something with. It's always been too close, too personal, too many people still alive. But if not now, when? <laughs> and I started to look at it, and I thought, I, I want to put this together. Somehow I want to put this together, and that's what I'm doing now. I'm putting it together with looking at it from now, but with the actual words from then, and I found an ed editor who, who really seems very interested in it. So when I go home, that's what I'll be doing the next day. Excellent. Uh, Corinne, Safer in Silence is on the international documentary film circuit. Well, not totally yet. It's been bought by Canal Plus in Poland. You know, it was in the uh, festival circuit for, and did for two years. And, well. did very, and did very well. Yeah. But now I'm looking for distribution in America, in France. So, yes, yeah, so it's, we're, we're still at that stage. Safer in Silence is a film by Corinne Chateau. And, of course, you can also read her book, Road to Cali, and look out for her memoir of her early acting career coming up soon. This is Meet the Writers, thanks to the production team of Nora Hull and Lillian Fawcett. I'm Georgina Godwin, and you can download this show and previous episodes from our website or app from SoundCloud, Mixcloud or iTunes. Thank you for listening.